0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Mary L. Trump is President Trump's only niece and a trained clinical psychologist. In her new best-selling memoir, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man, she describes an ambitious and challenging family environment. There were efforts to block the publishing of the book, and President Trump has called her writings untruthful. In this one-on-one conversation, she talks about her book and what brought her to write it at this time. Let's listen. Good evening. I'm Bob Costa, a national political reporter at The Washington Post, and welcome Mary Trump. Mary is a niece of President Trump and holds a PhD in advanced psychological studies from the Derner Institute at Adelphi University in New York. She is also, of course, the author of a new bestseller, a book that is highly critical of her uncle. It is titled, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man.
1: Mary, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Mary, before he was elected, I used to go to Trump Tower as a reporter from time to time to interview President Trump. And every time I was there, I noticed a black and white picture of his father, Fred, staring at him on his desk right next to the phone he used all day. We saw that in the introduction of this program tonight. He later took that picture to the Oval Office. You saw mm-hmm. that father-son dynamic over the years. Are you yeah. surprised he keeps that picture there every day?
1: Not, not a bit of it. Um, in fact, it's, uh, I, think, I think one of the reasons Donald keeps it there is sort of as a reminder um, of how to uh, behave in order to stay uh, on his dad's good side, which seems weird because my grandfather's been dead for over 20 years. Why does that re- relationship, the Fred-Trump, Donald-Trump
0: relationship matter in terms of his own presidency?
1: I th- I think the simplest way to, to put it is to say that um, Donald continues to need to prove to his father that he's the tough guy, the killer, the best—you know—that he's winning all the time, and above all that he's not weak. Um, and the ways to be weak in my family were to be kind, to admit mistakes, and to apologize.
0: You use the word tough there, Mary. Is that a word you heard a lot growing up? Is President Trump echoing? His own father because we hear him use that word tough when he talks about world leaders when he when he uh, values uh, people in politics it always comes down to that word okay. tough more often than not
1: yeah uh, it, and it's it's one of a few words that we hear repeated all the time you know strong um, the best um, you know any any word that conveys um, you know Quality or strength um, or some sense of superiority.
0: The passage in your book about President Trump's time at New York Military Academy is interesting. Do you think that whole period in high school, really started in eighth grade, I believe, shaped him in a deep way and also shaped how he sees the military?
1: You know, I I can't speak— uh, to the latter, I think that m- might have had more to do with my the way my grandfather uh, saw the military um, as something that was not worth spending time on. Um, you know, my dad was uh, second lieutenant in the Air National Guard um, Reserve, and um, my grandfather wasn't particularly happy about the time it took away from uh, the family business. I think one of the Crucial things that happened uh, during his years at the New York Military Academy was, on the one hand, it's when the the bond between my grandfather and Donald started to deepen. Um, by then, my dad was in college, and then later, you know, an adult working in my grandfather's company. And I think my grandfather already had some some doubts about him. And over those that five-year period, he realized that Donald was a kindred spirit. Um, and it was also a place that he learned the very crucial lesson that um, it's the people with the power who uh, get to make the rules no matter how they may have gained that power.
0: Mary, you write about the parents' decision to send him to New York Military Academy. You say uh, Mrs. Trump, the president's mother, was not able to control him. He was out of control. Was there a yeah. specific event, however, that led to that, to that decision in the Trump family,
1: I think it was a, a series of things. Um, so, from a fairly young age, uh, Donald was had a really hard time reading social cues. Uh, you know, the rules in the house, my grandparents' house, were very different uh, from the rules uh, in school. So he had a difficult time adjusting to that. And as he grew older, he became more bullying and. Uh, started getting into more physical confrontations, which obviously his school had a, a big problem with, and it, w- it was a combination uh, of that and the way he was behaving in the house, particularly towards my grandmother, who just couldn't control him. And uh, you know, he didn't—he acted very disrespectfully towards her and, and was a slob and, and never listened. So, uh, and my grandfather at the time um, was working a lot. So Donald's misbehavior didn't really affect him at all. So he, he wasn't uh, particularly interested in intervening, but he wasn't particularly interested in dealing with it either. So uh, setting him away probably seemed like a pretty good solution.
0: Yet on one level, he's portrayed throughout your book as this cold figure, though there is this one line I found intriguing where you said, Fred Trump Sr. went to visit Donald Trump almost every weekend, but yeah. Donald Trump's mother, Mary Ann, did not. Who told you that story?
1: My grandmother. Um, and it was, I mean, you know, it was common knowledge in the family that my grandfather visited frequently. And, you know, I, I can only speculate as to why, but I, I do believe that it probably had to do with the fact that, you know, my, my dad just wasn't turning out to be the kind of person my grandfather believed he needed to be his heir apparent. Um, So um, otherwise, though, I did. My grandmother told me that um, she didn't go very often because she was, quite frankly, relieved when he went away.
0: And in the beginning of your book, you talk about the president having to be told to put a picture of his mother up in the Oval Office. How would you describe the relationship between the president and his mother?
1: It it was very uh, complicated, but, you know, it started off badly when he was two and a half. She became very ill and was unavailable to him emotionally or physically for close to a year. And as a two and a half year old at a very crucial developmental period, he, of course, experienced that as abandonment, even though it was, of course, not intentional and not her fault. But when she did recover to the extent that she did, she never really did enough to heal the rift that had occurred by her absence. and I think when she didn't lift a finger to keep him home uh, instead of sending him away from school, he probably considered that the final betrayal. Um, and you know there was no um, real affection between them, uh, and there was almost this sort of um Condescension, you know, I think part of it was just that was the time you know uh, it was sort of um sexism uh the way he and and my uncle treated my grandmother as sort of a little bit of infantilizing uh like they you know she was this uh fragile creature uh at least um, emotionally that they had to protect but it it was it didn't seem particularly um deep or sincere, uh, unfortunately.
0: We hear so much about the president and his father. If you had to pick one quality President Trump shares with his mother, what would you say?
1: Um, the the sense of uh, the facade being important to keep up.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: Well, You know, my my grandmother was um, very interested in uh, the show, you know, um, and how she came across and how she presented herself. And Donald certainly got that from her. Um, You know, I think it was very important that my grandmother be perceived a very particular way uh, in terms of being charitable or um, generous. Um, I don't, I don't think Donald cares about those two things, necessarily. He has his own version of what he wants the world uh, to see. But just in in terms of, um, you know, the idea of who they want to be seen as, as opposed to who they really are, I think he did get that from her.
0: Mary, your book is not just a prism into this family, your family. It's a prism into a time, a city, New York, yeah. the 1950s, the 1960s. Take us inside... A Trump family dinner table conversation, because as a reporter, I'm always trying to understand, did President Trump have his views on trade and immigration shaped by his father or is this something he came to later? What do you remember about politics and what was discussed at that table?
1: Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. Um, There was a sameness, and I think this is true in a lot of families, you know, there's just like a sameness to how people interact and uh, how holidays are celebrated, et cetera. But you know what I what I can say is that my grandfather had absolutely no interests outside of his business and the things that impacted his business. So, generally speaking, all of the conversations were about New York politics, New York, the New York the state of New York real estate, um, you know, connections. Uh, things that needed to, deals that were in the works or um, ways to uh, get tax rebates, uh, you know, by giving away something to a particular charity. Um, so it was it was always that kind of thing. Politics in what terms a, of, I'm sorry?
0: What, what about race, though? I mean, this is the 70s, the early mm. 80s. How did they talk about race, specifically your grandfather mm. And your uncle, Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, you know it's it's a similar answer in the sense that it was there was such a sameness to it that, um, you know, I can't really pick out any one thing. But you know, certain racist language was used rather casually and frequently. You know, I I can't pick out one instance because that would suggest that it was different. You know, it was just sort of commonplace. Um, and the same could be said of. Uh, Anti-Semitic slurs and certainly um, there was a lot of misogyny as well.
0: Did anyone ever speak up and say that's wrong? You shouldn't say that. That's offensive.
1: Oh no! Uh, I mean, because I'm not suggesting it was only Donald. Uh, you know, it it was accepted, and anybody who disagreed or had a problem with it kept their mouth shut.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about your book. We have a question from our audience, Mort Glassberg from Virginia. He wonders, quote, a lot of your book relates to events that took place before you were born. What are your sources for those anecdotes?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I a lot of it is sort of family lore, you know, things that I've known forever, um, like the mashed potato story, for example. Um, you know, that's been told so many times by so many people and i i know it's true also because of how donald reacts to it he hates he hates that story um but generally uh, you know outside of things i just heard from other family members you know i've spoken a lot with uh, my dad's friends from growing up and from college um you know obviously um i have other people in my life who were around at the time um who have been able to confirm certain things for me. so I was very careful not to put anything in the book that I wasn't quite confident um, I could uh, that that was uh, actually had happened. even if you know i can't I don't always have documentation um but for the most part, um I don't think it's necessary you know when you're talking about a mashed potato story i, I don't I don't think we need a a document uh, Proving it th- that it happened,
0: right? And if you haven't read the book and you're watching this, uh, Mary's referencing a her her father, her late father, uh, Fred, poured a bowl of mashed potatoes over Donald Trump's head at a family gathering. Uh, she writes about how, in her view, it humiliated Donald Trump, and he remembers it to this day in a negative way. But Mary, let's pause on what you just said about your confidence in sure. family folklore, what you've been told. You recently mm-hmm. told ABC News that you are absolutely confident your words that someone else took the s a t for the president, but you never met the man you named Joe Shapiro and simply know it from a quote source close to the president uh, as you know Pam Pam Shriver, the former tennis star, has said it wasn't her late husband Joe Shapiro, and you said it's now a Joe Shapiro from the neighborhood. who is it is it have you done any more reporting and what, if you were so confident in it why did you put it in if it wasn't necessarily clear which Joe Shapiro you were referring to?
1: Well, quite honestly, I, because I don't think the identity of the person, and I want to clarify something. What I said was that Donald paid somebody uh, named Joe Shapiro to take his SATs. So that, to me, was was the more salient fact that Donald paid somebody. And as for the identity of Joe Shapiro, I— As far as I can tell, it's definitely not the Joe Shapiro who was married to Pam Driver because they met when Donald was at the University of Pennsylvania and uh, he paid to have somebody take his SATs when he was still at Fordham trying to get into the University of Pennsylvania. And as far as finding out who it is, one, I never would have met him because I, I don't think I was born yet or I was very, very young. And two, uh, you know, the name Joe Shapiro is not uncommon in New York City. So the reason I'm confident is because I've been told this story by somebody who was there at the time um, and was well aware that this happened.
0: Was that person Judge Mary Ann Trump, the president's sister?
1: Uh, I, I prefer not to say who it was, honestly.
0: Why not? Um, no, the, per- the person may have misled you, though, at this point. It's unclear of the anecdotes.
1: You know, I... I sure. But I, I guess one question would be why. Um, and the second thing is it's somebody who would have had absolutely no reason to make it up. It's a story I've heard before over the years. It's not like I just heard it, you know, a few months ago. Um to be uh, salacious, you know? Uh, so I I honestly, and to be honest, I also didn't think people would be all that surprised by it or interested in it, but I absolutely stand by it. And, you know, um, I would be curious to, to hear what other people in the family have to say if they were asked about it. So you stand by
0: it, but has anyone corroborated the story since publication?
1: Not that I'm aware of, and by the same token, I don't believe anybody's debunked it either.
0: I was struck, Mary, by Judge Barry, Marianne Barry, the president's sister. Her quotes in the book, very candid. Uh, She is critical of President Trump. It's clear you've had some private conversations with her. Was she Mm -hmm. aware when you were having these private conversations that they would end up in your your book?
1: No, I mean, most of those conversations took place before I was aware there was even going to be a book. So, um, no. and. You know, I, I wasn't, the conversations I had with her um, were usually very, gener- you, you know, we talked about all sorts of different things. So, um, you know, the, the things that are in the book are just sort of distillations of, of much longer conversations that, that have taken place over the years. Have you
0: spoken to Judge Barry since the publication?
1: No, I have not.
0: Any plans to?
1: I I don't, and I I would not be surprised if she never contacted me, and I I think that's fair. Um, I I understand why she would not want to.
0: So part of the release of this book has been a debate about your credibility as a witness to family history because of the dispute over your grandfather's estate in 1999 and 2000. Uh, Can you help us, us understand more of what happened at that time, do you believe millions in the Trump estate right now are still rightfully your own
1: i th- think what's what's most important to understand about what happened at that time was that um the lawsuit was started as as a a lawsuit over the estate over my grandfather's will um, but the settlement was much more. Um, a having my aunts and uncles buy me out of my shares of certain interests I held in some of my grandfather's properties. So, you know, at the time, I accepted their valuations of these properties, not just because they were my aunts and uncles, but because they had also been my trustees after my father died when I was 16. And it wasn't until you know, the New York Times, uh, Suzanne Craig and Russ Buechner, uh published that extraordinary uh, piece of journalism uh, in October of 2018 that I completely, well, not even completely, I still don't completely understand um, the extent of uh, what happened. But, you know, in 2000, I was told my grandfather's estate was worth $30 million. And. In 2018, I discovered that it was closer to a billion dollars. So it's very difficult for me to calculate because again, I didn't have a share in in the entire empire. Um, but I think it's safe to say that there there is a huge discrepancy um, between the numbers I was presented with 20 years ago and the numbers uh, that we see now.
0: When you say huge discrepancy, can you give us any guidance? How much was the settlement?
1: I can't discuss that. Sorry.
0: It would just help give context, because if you say the Fred Trump seniors was worth a billion dollars and you had X amount as a settlement, it would be Mm -hmm. helpful to understand the gap.
1: Uh, We've never heard of this. I'm sorry. I I, I think the simplest way to do it is, you know, the difference, we, if we're talking about a percentage of something worth $30 million or a percentage of something worth $970 million, we may not know the exact figures. But I think we can, we can intuit that it's a pretty big difference.
0: Do you have any update on where this non-disclosure agreement uh, legal fight stands between you and Robert Trump and others, your uncle Robert Trump, the president's brother?
1: I don't. I haven't heard anything uh, since the last ruling, which I, hopefully is good news. So you you,
0: you are a medical, a uh, psychological professional. You you describe your credentials throughout the book in making these assessments of President Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know, however, if he has ever sought advice in terms of his own health or psychological well-being?
1: I don't. Um, it would surprise me, but I, I don't have any inside knowledge about that at all.
0: You also just accuse him of, describe him more likely, of drinking too many Diet Cokes and he can't sleep. You also note that his own mother had trouble sleeping. Do you have any details about what was going on with with, uh, President Trump's health as a younger man in any definitive way based on evidence? His physical health? Physical health or mental health?
1: Um, you know, beyond, as,
0: beyond observation.
1: Sure. Uh, no. Uh, you know, as his niece, um, I saw him frequently, and he always seemed like he was, uh, perfectly healthy, and there was no reason for me to suspect that um, there were any other, there were any psychological issues. Um, at the time, you know, I was young, um, so. There was not nothing. Nothing um, stood out to me um, back in the 70s um, or 80s, but that could potentially be because he was, you know, um, quite protected um, by my my grandfather, his wealth and his power and his connections.
0: So there's no concrete detail. I'm just trying to understand. You're so you're observing as a medical professional but do you feel that you're taking any risk uh, on on making these assessments since he's not actually a patient of yours?
1: No, I mean, you know, I'm, I don't diagnose him directly. Um, and I also don't think the diagnosis matters that much. What, what I try to do in the prologue. Um, and I also want to make it clear. I'm not, I'm not currently a practicing psychologist. I've been out of the field for a while, but you know, uh, I went through six years of training, I taught graduate school, I saw many patients in clinical settings, so I'm, I'm quite confident in my, my ability to render certain judgments, but m- mostly what I was tra- trying to do uh, early in the book was to give people a sense of things that might be going on, to give people a picture of some of the symptomatology that we're seeing, and also point out the idea that there really is probably no single diagnosis it's there's so much overlap it's his behaviors are often complex and often seem self-defeating that you know we need to dig a little deeper and the way to do that other than you know obviously looking at his current behavior is to look at his family history which is something i believe i had some insight into Um, and as far as the diet coke thing i'm that's just something that I've heard many times. He drinks around a dozen Diet Cokes a day. That's not healthy, no matter who you are.
0: You got access to some of these settlement files that were then shared with The New York Times. As a reporter, I'm really curious. Does Fred Trump Sr. have papers? Does your father have papers? Could these be accessed by the public or the press at some point?
1: Uh, You mean beyond the documents I have? I don't know. Um, I would imagine that anything belonging to my grandfather and grandmother outside of what I had access to would be, you know, in uh, somebody else's hands. Uh, You know, one of my aunts or uncles or one of their cousins. I don't know. Um, And as far as my dad, you know, he died so long ago. um, And when he did die, he he really wasn't uh, part of Any of the business dealings, anyway. So, um, like, I I certainly never saw any documents that belonged to my dad. He didn't even have a will.
0: Did you keep a a journal or diary? Some of these conversations are so verbatim in the book about early experiences.
1: Um, I have a really good memory, uh, first of all. And secondly, I've had many conversations that confirm a lot of the information. So, you know, it's easy to hang on to uh, that stuff when it's important and relevant.
0: And one of the things that for anyone who reads the book is it's not really about president Trump. Of course, it's about him, but it's really Mm -hmm. about your father and it's a sad book in many ways. Your father had a short life. And what was that experience like for you to, to dig into those memories and to tell his story really for the first time in this way?
1: It was awful, I have to say, um, partially because the man who was the, um, the professional pilot for TWA at the dawn of the jet age, the man who was so beloved by his friends and who, you know, would fly them out to Bimini for the weekend to, to take them fishing um, or out to Montauk uh, to take them out on his boat, uh, didn't exist by the time I was born. So I never met that man. And, um, you know, I had a very similar view of my dad um, as the one that was perpetuated by my grandfather, which was that he wasn't accomplished. And, um, you know, quite honestly, and I say this to my shame, uh, that he wasn't worthy of respect. And he was basically the sum total of his disease of alcoholism.
0: And there was that scene with your father pointing a gun at your mother, horsing around, I guess, I don't know what else, other phrase to use. And you've recalled that was your first memory. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. um, And the reason I, I know it's my first memory because it's the first thing I remember, but I know it happened because many, many years later, I mentioned it to my mother. And she said, I can't believe you remember that you were only two and a half. Um, So she obviously remembered it. And it wasn't, you know, he wasn't horsing around. He was um, he was quite drunk and um, he was uh, it was a very bad time in his life. He was under a lot of uh, stress and he was lashing out in a way that was uh, terrifying and, you know, unforgivable, honestly.
0: Final question, Mary, will you campaign for Joe Biden?
1: I don't know, uh, you know, I not officially, you know, I haven't spoken to anybody on the campaign, but um, I'll do everything in my power to uh, make sure that Joe Biden gets elected. That That I will do.
0: Mary Trump, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.